from the Finley Toyota Studio, it's Cofield and Company. Theodore in the circle, a shot, save, a rebound shot, rebound, they score! Vegas takes a 2-1 lead, 90 seconds into the third, Jack Eichel. Water the outside left, up top, Petrangelo gets the tip, they score! William Carlson, Vegas with a power play goal, 3-2 Golden Knights. Pass on the breakout, knocked down by Petrangelo. Stevenson in, Whipstall got it to him, he scores! Mark Stone, a huge fist pump, 24 seconds to go, and the Knights have their third lead of the day. It's time for Cofield and Company with Steve Cofield on ESPN Las Vegas. All right, here we go. Cofield and company on a Wednesday. Adam Hill is the company today. Ari running things here in the Finley Toyota studios. Much to get to. Crazy, crazy Wednesday. And while we sat there and lectured Devontae Adams about decorum after the KC push and what he should have done afterwards, the front end of the push has now gotten completely out of control. <laughs> so we'll get you updated on what the Kansas City Police Department is doing when it comes to Devontae Adams and man, oh man, this seems like more of a pub stunt, but there's a lot of legal stuff involved and we'll find out, I guess, soon about what the NFL is going to do with Devontae Adams. On the way in, you hear VGK, that's a nice debut. Back and forth game on the road. A lot of the question marks that we have going into the season, health, players adjusting to Bruce Cassidy, goaltending. We got some initial answers. I don't know if they're all good, but we got some answers. Let's get to it. It's the three on Cofield and Company. This answer's kind of the wrong word. We got at least an opening look at some of the questions, and we got the initial answer. How about that? What's going on, Adam? Not much. Big day. Crazy. Interesting day to wake up to, for sure. Especially for you guys who cover the Raiders with the Adam stuff. Bye week. But let's, uh, yeah, slow (laughs) week, right? It's, It's always what happens, isn't it? Of course. Always what happens. Ah, nothing going on for the next uh, eight, nine days. Nope. Nope. Got to track stuff down. All right. So the Knights are back tomorrow. That's going to be the season opener at home, the the home opener, right? They opened last night for the season, start off 1-0 at the Kings. The Kings were a real thorn in the Knights' side and more than a thorn. They kept them from making the playoffs, which really disappointed a lot of EGK fans. And so a little revenge to start the season. So give me a couple of... Early impressions, uh, first of all, in the past, this team always had a penchant for comeback victories, and they showed that again with this group last night. Yeah, for sure. I, I mean, I think, you know, being scrappy and fighting to the end, and those things are have kind of been a hallmark. Didn't really happen as much last year, obviously, and that's why they ended up where they ended up. But um, I, I think the big takeaways are Mark Stone looking healthy, obviously getting the game winner, but in general just looking healthy, and he did not for – so much of last year, and I think there was obviously concern. There still is some concern about the long-term implications of a back injury and how much it could be, uh, you know, affecting somebody uh, over the over the long term, over the length of a season, over the length of a, the rest of his career. But right now, looks very healthy. Jack Eichel looked incredibly healthy, dangerous. You know, scored a goal, but was you know creating uh, all over the place, and I think that's obviously very uh, encouraging for Golden Knights fans and. It looks like Phil Kessel has something left, and that was definitely a concern after his numbers from last year. 
So there was a lot of positive signs. Obviously not a whole lot of flexibility. So this is the roster that you have for this year for the most part. Uh, Logan Thompson was okay. And I think that's kind of what you're going to ask of him this year. Be okay. And he kept him in the game and they were able to find a way to win. Talk about the game winner. Well, uh, Petrangelo started it. Uh, the the Kings tried to uh, try to you know send an outlet pass down the ice. Try to go, um, you know, try to kind of start a break with a long pass. He intercepted it, uh, got it to Chandler Stevenson, who dropped it off, and Mark Stone just hit an unbelievable shot. It was just it was great individual work by all three of those guys, but obviously a a team goal in a in a big way because everybody worked together, everybody did their job and did it very very well. And it results in the puck going in the net with, you know, 20 whatever seconds left and winning the game. So uh, great individual effort in the context of what the team is trying to do. And I think that's what, you know, that was kind of what, you know, Bruce Cassidy had in mind and, and you know, designing the the system for this team, but also what the, what the front office had in mind of building this team. That's kind of what they wanted. Go back to last year with Stone and remind people about what the issues were and what was done to fix the issue. Yeah, back a back injury. And it, it's... It was painful for him. It was you know, kind of excruciating for him to go through. It affected him during games. He talked about uh, at times last year after games just being in so much pain and trying to fight through it and obviously was not playing at his maximum level. He had he had a procedure in the offseason, and uh, I I was there talking to him after his first game in training camp uh, what a week. You know, it, seems like, it seems like a year ago. I think it was eight days ago at this point uh, when he first uh, played in the preseason for the Knights. And and I asked him specifically, how soon will you know how this went? Like, would it be when you wake up in the morning and you'll say, oh, I feel okay? Uh, is it two days from now? Is it is it will you be sore? Like, how will you know? And he said, I feel like I can confidently say right now I'm okay because last year the hardest the hardest part of days for me was right after games, where he would just skate off the ice and just be in so much pain that he was miserable. And he said, right after the game there was nothing. Felt great, and so I think that was encouraging. Uh, but now it's it's, it's going to be the grind, right? I mean, you got another game tomorrow, and then a couple more games right after that. Like it's the it's the grind of a season. How will he hold up? So there, there's still questions to be answered about where his health is, and certainly long term. I mean, does this take a year or two off your career? Does it take five years off your career? Does right. it, you know, does it impact you at late in the seasons? Uh, how is it going to hold up? But for right now, it feels great. On Eichel, I'm not saying Eichel getting off to a slow start would ruin his season. But I feel like for trust of the fans, trust of teammates, trust of the coach, Eichel doing what Eichel should do is massive coming out of the gates. Well, I think Am fans. I overstating this? To get his confidence back and and really show people, like, hey, they paid a lot for this guy, and he was a you know very highly coveted, controversial player. But he can be, you know, that next level guy that the organization needs, especially to fix the power play and up scoring production. I mean, I think obviously anytime you have a star player, they have to produce like that's right. that's in any sport. Uh, but I think to your point, it's it's the fans, right? Because like the last thing you want him to do is actually, get off to a slow start for like twenty games, and people are like, oh, you know, because they didn't they didn't get to see the best possible Jack Eichel at all last year. That was Darren Largest yelled in our window. He said, he said Jack Eichel. Okay. Like no, I'm just kidding. He didn't say anything about him. Uh no, but I look, the players know. Like I tried to, I was trying to do a story on on Jack Eichel in, in in training camp and I would just go to a player and like, what is it, you know, what what do you see in Jack Eichel? And they oh man. Oh 
that dude is unbelievable. Really? Like they couldn't even it was you couldn't even finish asking a question before they're like that he's he's he doesn't play the same sport we do. He's like on a different he's up there with the, the superstar guys. And I think so I think there was no, nothing about the trust of the team, nothing about that. Maybe his own personal belief in himself, but he actually was very productive last year despite coming back after a year and a half and going through the serious operation. He actually was very productive in his time. It's it's to, to your point. I think it's fans. There still is fans to win over. Not that that matters in the locker room or anything like that. But you know, to show the fans like he's not only going to be here, going to be dangerous, going to actually put the puck in the net, help contribute to wins. Yeah, it's important for them. But I don't think there's anybody in that locker room in that building that had any kind of doubts about Jack Eichel. Uh, back to Stone for a second. If you're a big hockey fan, you want to. Hear a little content from Mark Stone. He's going to be on NHL Network at 3.15, so coming up here in less than 10 minutes. So story of the day to me is what's going on in the NFL with our Raiders, with Devontae Adams, with Kansas City. You want to explain what happened today with the police department in Kansas City and Devontae Adams and this guy who got pushed to the ground? Yeah, we, we had heard yesterday that the gentleman had visited a hospital and was injured in some way. And then today we get the formal, you know, charges filed against Devontae Adams for assault, uh, which, by the way, had his address listed in California, which I don't know why they needed to put that out. Could have maybe, could have maybe uh, blacked that one out when you when you put it out. I don't, right. I don't know why that happened. Uh, but yeah, the the charges were it was a, a an assault charge, a misdemeanor assault charge uh, that has been filed in the case against Devontae. I. Victim wow. suffered whiplash, a headache, and possible <laughs> minor concussion. The I don't know what that means. Like, don't, first of all, how did that happen? I've watched the tape a million times. He didn't, see he didn't hit his head on the ground? No. Uh, or, or have his neck kind of whipped back? <laughs> whiplash, I'm saying the concussion part right. seems unlikely, but look, we take head injury seriously. I, I, I guess I, I don't. That was a weird one. Uh, possible concussion is weird to me because didn't he go to the hospital? When we know if he had one or not, then they, can they run the test and find out? Um, that was that was bizarre. But again, the bottom line: th- those things don't really matter in the grand scheme of things. To me, I still believe this is just a path for some sort of financial uh, arrangement at some point. But it's uh, look, people are divided, and it's, I think it's tough to see. It's tough to see this as not a football issue where. If you look online, Chiefs fans are like, good, put him in jail. And Raiders fans say, he didn't do anything. This guy just out for a money grab. It's very weird. Right, that the guy did it on purpose. That we, right, that we can't That he ran see. in front of him on purpose as a big setup. Yeah. And look, I think the guy was in the wrong place. He probably shouldn't have been there. And I don't think Devontae Adams saw him. As we talked about yesterday, I think he, at the last minute, put his hands up. and said, whoa, why did this guy? Okay. And then he realized, all right, that wasn't a threat. But he could have just helped the guy up. And I think this probably would have been a lot different story than it is right now. Because I do believe what Devontae Adams said in the locker room that he thought the guy ran up on him. I believe that. And then when he saw the video, he said, oh, that's what happened. I didn't really, that's not what I thought happened. And that's why he put out a different apology. Uh, I, I, I believe all of that. But I also know that you can't just knock people to the ground. And when you do, you probably should go over there and be like, hey, man, my bad. Sorry. Let's continue to break this down. So uh, charges filed against Devontae Adams, Raiders receiver for running into and pushing this uh, media person working on the field at Arrowhead. And we'll break down one of the things in the police report that says Adams, with that push, committed an intentional and overt act. Hmm. 
Today after Cofield and Company, it's the Marcus Arroyo Radio Show at 6 p.m. right here on ESPN Las Vegas. I mean, I support Devontae wholeheartedly as a human being, as a person, as a great guy. I know that was an unfortunate situation. We obviously don't want any of our guys to be doing anything like that. He knows that, but I know the person. I don't think there was any, you know, intent behind it on his part. But whatever they ask of us, whatever they need from us, obviously we'll comply. Now, back to Cofield and Company in the Finley Toyota studio. studio. Obviously we'll comply when I mean, you say that. Right, Josh McDaniels. I don't know if they're going to want to comply. They're going to have a choice if the NFL comes in on Devontae Adams and slams him. And I think slamming would be a one-game suspension. I think that would be outrageous. And I was very strong in this the last couple of days about it was really more about Adams after he knocked the guy to the ground. But the initial act, now that we've seen all the different videos, it was a bizarre encounter. He could have been trying to protect himself. Uh, police... In their charges, they filed misdemeanor charges against Devontae Adams for the push of the person on the field. Intentional overt act. (laughs) I don't even know if I'm willing to say that. No, me neither. I mean, I guess the push itself, like it goes through your brain, hey, I've got to get this person away from me. If you actually thought you were in harm's way, and there have been people running on the fields, field, fields actually, uh, around the NFL, you know, it was right in front of me at a split second to decide. I mean, I guess it's intentional, but I, I guess my whole my whole thought process is: was it you know a vicious act? I don't know. Um, I don't ever want to accuse any police department of wasting time and running out a pub stunt, but this seems a little goofy to me. Well, <clears throat> and then I also you know I also don't know the law well enough in terms of if someone comes to you, how much leeway do you have in terms of saying no, we're not going to press charges? You know, if it's on video and the basics are there, do you have to? File a misdemeanor charge against Devontae Adams. Yeah, it's, you know, I, I don't think you would have to if you determined that there was no intent to it, but they were saying it was intentional. Intentional over an act. Uh, I mean, I, I think you'd probably maybe use better use of your time be finding the people that were throwing things also at at players at halftime. That seems to be assault as well, uh, but that's hard. <laughs> that's a hard thing to do. This is easy. Just file. Here you go. Type up the report and file it. Uh I, it's it's tough. I mean, look, they have a tough job to do. Also, they're like officials. Tough, tough job. Yeah. Gotta gotta get to the bottom of things. I'm sure this is the last nonsense they want to have to deal with. It the the police. I get it. Does seem to be tying up unnecessary court time. I would imagine. Uh, I can't imagine this actually goes very far. It's going to be either settled or thrown out or reduced or something. It's not going to. I did uh, retweet a, a, um, a tweet earlier from Xavier Pope, our legal analyst on Thursdays, who said that charges being filed are a really big help if this guy wants to sue civilly. Right. And that, I think that's that's what that's kind of what this is. What I referenced a little bit ago. It's it's the first step toward you know the payday. Uh, I would imagine, but you have to you know the cops don't just file that just because they're helping somebody out either. It's it, it's a weird situation. Again, it's it, it's a it's a tough call of what exactly happened. I know. Look, there was one stupid, ridiculous guy who's so obnoxious on Twitter, but has a massive following that was advocating this should be attempted murder. Like that's insane. Seems strong, crazy. But everyone's got an opinion on it, and especially depending sure. on the angle you saw, and then the way Adams acted afterwards, I think also plays into it. 
because it would suggest that, hey, maybe there was some malice behind it because he just kind of looked and walked right by the guy. And then there's people who claim they're experts because they're on the field all the time, yeah. which you and I are on the field often. And I saw one person say, uh, you know, I've had a bunch of people ask me about Devontae Adams' shove. Uh, here are my thoughts. I've roamed the NFL sidelines for 20 seasons and been hit by players, by errant passes, had lenses and equipment break, and not once have I ever felt inclined to file a police report and potentially press charges on anyone. Okay, well, if this guy is legitimately injured, then there's something there. And I'm not talking about the person making a comment. Uh, he says, this person says, it's a privilege to be on those sidelines, and we all understand the risk that can be associated with covering the sport. But I don't know if part of the risk is being pushed to the ground by someone when the game isn't going on. If you get smashed on the sidelines, it's unfortunate. But a lot of it's on you because you do have to be alert all the time. Yeah. And I was, you know, I'll sit there and, and I don't I don't have a lens and equipment to break. It's, I have a camera, you know, phone. So I'm trying to get video sometimes in the end zones. I realized that, like, I better be ready to move. And there was a play last week at San Jose where I was in the corner the wall to the corner of the end zone, there is no room, right? They're doing some construction there. There's no room. And there was a pass thrown right at me. I'm like, oh, this is a really good shot. But at the last second, I, and I stayed in, last second, you know, Seneca McKee's coming near me, and I'm like, ooh, I might get smashed. Huh, right. Now, well, now, that's now, also now again, that's in game action. Right. But I, I don't different. think afterwards I'd be like, that's unbelievable that they smashed me. You know, run out of bounds, people get smashed. This one is complicated, though, because there wasn't game action going on. Like, and yeah. then who has the right to be on the field? Who has the right to the tunnel? Can we all walk up the tunnel at the same time? Can we coexist and not push each other to the ground? Well, that, and, and I think your example is very different, obviously, being a part of the right. game. I, I'll, I'll give one that's somewhat closer in that when, you know, I do a couple times a year for home games, I'll do like an Instagram story of the players coming out of the tunnel. Yeah. And they come out all fired up and excited. <laughs> and the first time I was down there, I didn't realize how sharp of a right turn they, tr they make. Like, I thought they come straight out the tunnel. The guys like to come out of the tunnel and turn right to go over toward the fans. And they came out, and I was standing in a terrible spot, admittedly. Like, I didn't understand their path. It was my first time down there. I didn't know. And I was standing in a terrible spot. Yeah. And I got, like, my shoulders got bumped as the players came out. And I was like, whoa, oh, whoa, that's my fault. That, but that's my fault. I knew that was my fault. Officer! That was most absolutely my fault. Now, this is this I just is again, got assaulted! This is, again, different. Like, you understand. Yeah. To leave the tunnels clear when you know right before and right after games, you don't, you know that you're not supposed to be there. But I don't think this guy this guy didn't seem to have an awareness of where he was. You get discombobulated. You're trying to do your job and you lose yeah. you know sight. There's a lot of stuff going on on the field where you know players are coming and footballs and stuff's coming from all different directions. Yeah, and it seemed like Devontae was the first one there, as opposed to like there wasn't a line of players coming out there. He was by himself. He probably didn't realize players were coming that soon. And so there's there's a lot of things at work. It, it's I, I'm very conflicted on it. I don't think Devontae saw him. I think he pushed him at the last second. I don't, again, don't have much of a problem with that part of it. But I do think it, a lot would probably be different in this case yeah. if he would have knocked him down and walked over and like, oh, man, you're all right. Now, this guy, maybe, hey, look, I don't know this dude. <laughs> maybe he yeah. literally was, as soon as he got hit, he was like, yes, I'm retired or whatever he wanted to say. Maybe that's possible. But I, I just feel like this this whole whole thing would have been a lot different if he just walked over and said, "Hey, sorry, man." Yeah. Probably but, could alleviate the situation by, you know, once he got back to the locker room, thinking about it, and maybe just walking back out and making sure the guy was okay. Well, I don't I don't know about that. I think once once he walked once by the guy, once, you're, once the guy you're in, like, you're done. The guy was like, "Oh, we're good." But I, I also I do right. believe I absolutely believe Devontae's first story, which was some guy just ran out in front of me and I just right. knocked him down. Like I think he thought that guy was it, it was coming from a different place because he didn't see him. 
And then he saw the video and said, oh, I better I better go amend this because that's not what happened. What I thought happened is not what actually happened. And and I, I believe that he felt that at first, that he felt this guy just ran right in front of him and he just knocked him down because the guy was running in, in his way. And then he saw that's not what happened. They were just two guys that were on divergent pa- or, you know, concurrent paths uh, that just happened across right there at the tunnel. And, you know, he just, he went and knocked him down. I, I look, the guy should have been in that place. Devontae shouldn't have knocked him down. Devontae should have helped him up. Everybody could have made different choices that would have made the situation go a lot differently. But in the end, it's, it's, you know, it's one guy who, who saw, I would say, saw an opportunity. Caleb Herring's up next, former uh, football player with UNLV, one of the voices of UNLV football on radio. We'll get his take on Devontae Adams and the incident, and also Josh McDaniels' decisions throughout the last game, including that two-point conversion attempt over an extra point when they were down 30-29 with four minutes left. Follow the guys on Twitter at Steve Cofield and at Adam Hill LVRJ or tweet the show at Cofield and Co. Hammer the Rams been a successful run with backup Cooper Rush as their starting quarterback. The biggest difference between Cooper Rush and Dak Prescott. Dak's more athletic and has a much bigger bank account. But there's not a wide difference I don't believe in talent. Former UNLV quarterback and current voice of the Rebels on radio, Caleb Herring is live right now on Cofield and Company. Let's bring in Caleb. What's up, buddy? What's up, Steve? How you guys doing, man? I'm good. I know you were outraged by Devontae Adams when you initially saw the video. Now we've had about a day and a half to think about it. The push, his action after the push, and now misdemeanor charges have been filed in Kansas City against Raiders receiver Devontae Adams. Yeah, you know, initially I was I was a little bit uh I don't know if I'd say outraged, but I was I was rubbed the wrong way. Devontae Adams, let's start by saying this. He has no record of being a bad guy, of being a jerk in my in my knowledge. He's I'm not going to categorize him as a jerk based on that incident. Now, he was wrong. He was wrong for pushing the guy down. He was wrong for his actions I think immediately after too, which kind of made him look like a jerk. I understand as a competitor that moment, um, the frustration that probably just boiled over that made him maybe react a little bit out of character and push the guy the way he did. And I completely get that part of his apology. Um, But in the aftermath of that, um, to me, it's just hard to to look at it. And, you know, the apology, while this is probably as genuine as it could have been, honestly, looking back at it, just to say, I'm sorry about that guy I pushed. It just rubbed me the wrong way, personally. Like, that guy, like, give him something better than that, right? Or mm-hmm. even just a more personal apology or some sort of remorse in the immediate aftermath. You realized, you know, there's a point where he realizes he pushed a man down. And it's like, okay, I, you can almost kind of see, and this is inferring a lot, but the hesitancy when he to continue walking, it's almost like he realized, like, geez, I just pushed him down. What do I do next? And then his decision next was to just walk past him and kind of storm off. I think I would have liked to see, and this is hindsight being 2020, him stop and say, my bad, bro. I, you know, I, I didn't mean to do it. Help him up there, dust him off, whatever. Um, that would have been the, the great thing to see. But um, I, I just think it played out bad. And it was caught on camera. And it, just, it was a bad look uh, with the totality of the circumstances, right? Everybody's kind of already like, oh, Devontae's just being a sore loser because things aren't going his way. And then that happens. It adds to it. Um, then you go to the legal side. You got precious charges. And this is what you open yourself to up to as, you know, you're valuable as a person, as Devontae Adams, as an NFL player worth hundreds of millions of dollars. 
your value goes up. But the flip side about that, that they probably don't tell you when you sign that big contract is that now the risk of these mistakes also goes up in value, mm-hmm. right? Like this guy doesn't sue the other camera guy if they get into a scuffle and, and push each other and fall down or whatever. But it's Devontae Adams. So there's opportunity there. And you, I mean, can you blame him for doing it? Not really. I, I mean, from a normal average Joe standpoint, you get it. There's there's something to be gained there. It's just like the flip of if Kyler Murray pressed charges on the guy that slapped him, quote unquote, slapped him in the face during the Raiders at, at Allegiant, right? Like it's Kyler Murray doesn't gain anything from doing that. So you don't expect it. But a fan getting shoved by a multimillion dollar player, there's something to be gained there. So that's the risk you run if you're Devontae Adams. Your mistakes also cost more when you're worth as much as he is. Um, so, I mean, it's to be expected, honestly. Um, there's a double standard there, and we, you got to navigate that as a player. That's a part of being in the limelight. You got to navigate that stuff. Uh, probably not a fair question, but I'll ask anyway. Let's say the Raiders make that field goal at the end of the game. They win. Patrick Mahomes pushes a cameraman down. Is he charged with misdemeanor assault? In Kansas City? Yeah. No. Absolutely not. <laughs> of course not. There's no because the fan the fan is immediately shunned in the community. Like like that you 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 can't come back to another game. You don't show your face at a bar. So you're gonna get assaulted by some other Kansas City fan maniac. Like no, there's no way. Like Mahomes, I I think it's a bigger deal if Mahomes does it. Honestly, like from a publicity standpoint, I think people come down a lot harder on him and more one sided on Mahomes because again the double standard starts to multiply. The quarterback is held to even a higher standard than the wide receiver, right? Like Devonte Adams is a receiver, but you don't really hold him to the face of the franchise standard that you hold Patrick Mahomes to. So if he does a negative action, it's like, holy cow, this is ne- that's all we're talking about for the next three weeks and all this stuff. I don't know if there's actual legal repercussions. I don't know if the league suspends Patrick Mahomes. And that, that's not, that's not the point, but there's more vitriol coming his way as far as his character being attacked as Patrick Mahomes, the quarterback of a franchise. I think yeah. that's, how i would guess it goes but no the fan has there's no chance the fan sues because he'd be he'd be in a world of hurt for the the rest of kansas city loves patrick mahomes too much to allow that to happen law enforcement in the area will probably be like bro come on what What are you talking about it's patrick come on i should i should ask about travis kelce instead (laughs) was was, would travis kelce get get charged with misdemeanor assault if he had knocked the camera knocked a cameraman down instead of devonta adams i i don't i just i think it's the same thing i don't think he would no, I don't think so either. And again, it goes to he's beloved in Kansas City just as much as, well, not just as much, but he's in the same category. So it changes. I think if you're at Allegiant Stadium, well, and and it flips and Kelsey or Mahomes shoves a Raider fan in a similar situation, then it's different. It's very much different or at, at the Raider Stadium because uh, the jurisdiction where the charges are going to be applied is going to be an away. It's like your away team's turf. It's not your turf. Um, and I think again, Raider fans probably would it probably be more of a fight. I, like if the Raider <laughs> fans saw that, they'd be throwing beer cans down out of the stands in defense of the camera guy. So it, it may have gotten a little bit more chaotic uh, if it was at Allegiant or at you know the Raiders' home stadium. So I, I it would be different though. I, I definitely agree it would be different if if it were depending on who the person is. And in this case, I think it actually helps Devontae that he does have sort of a a spotless background when it comes to this stuff. And these kind of incidents happening, it could have been like he's probably one of the better people that it could have happened to because I think it's actually gonna go pretty well as far as PR for him. He's gonna be fine after it blows over. But like, imagine if a guy with a reputation does this, you know, hmm. like if you know Miles Garrett does it or Aaron Donald <laughs> even now who kind of has a, a reputation. It's a lot worse, I think, for those guys. 
the vibes aren't great around the Raiders. One and four going into the bye week. Their star receiver charged with assault. A lot going wrong. Uh, how are the vibes around the UNLV program after not a great loss and losing, you know, having a quarterback suffer an injury? Well, I think that last piece of it makes it a little bit easier to digest the loss. Um, the loss is a loss. At the end of the day, it was a big loss. But I think there's you've heard often there's reasons and excuses. Um, I would say Doug's injury as early as it happened in that game probably was more of a reason for the loss being as lopsided it was. And, and this is not to discredit San Jose State. I'm not saying Doug would have won the game for them, but it would have been a more respectable game, I think. And everybody would have felt more good about competing in that game. But the fact that Doug went out, the injuries are starting to stack up at that point in the season. And then the fact that San Jose State really capitalized and, and did some good things and just proved themselves more than anything to be one of the top, if not the top team in the conference this year. Um, I think it, it makes it a little easier to deal with the deficit. At the end of the day, and I think this is the kind of tone that Coach Arroyo has had even right after the game, I know, getting on the plane, um, he was already in this mindset after the loss where it was like, hey, you're going to take some on the chin sometimes. This is football. You're going to lose. You're going to get beat up on every now and then, especially when the starter quarterback goes down. You got all kinds of injuries. He kind of understands that. I think his demeanor is kind of translated to the rest of the locker room where it's like, hey, we're still four and two. At the end of the day, it was a bad loss. We got beat up on, um, but we're still four and two, which is a situation that the Rebels haven't been in in the last decade, really, um, to say that we're, we're having a winning season still. And it's still out there for us to have a winning season, bowl eligibility, all that. Even competing for the conference is still out there. Um, so, yeah, at the end of the day, I think that the, the, the demeanor around the Fertitta complex, especially from the top, uh, with Coach Royal is it's one game on the schedule. We're still four and two, and all of our goals are still out in front of us. Um, and I think that's the right space to be in, especially with another conference opponent coming right behind um, with a little bit of a revenge spot, too, with Air Force being the, the team that really handed it to UNLV last year. This kind of is the chip on the shoulder. If you talk to the players throughout the season, this one, whether they've expressed it or not, has kind of been one that I, I'm pretty sure they've marked. Like They got some revenge in mind. Um, for a lot of reasons from last year's loss to Air Force. So um, they're they're looking to right that wrong. So I think they're still in a good spot uh, morale-wise moral, moral um, in the locker room. I think 4-2 and two still feels good, even though it's coming off the heels of a, of a pretty bad loss to San Jose. Will Air Force throw more passes than they did last year? <laughs> yes. Yes, <laughs> I think they will. And it's, But it's, it's because, and I, this is one of the mysteries trying to figure it out, they don't want to. It's not like they want to do. It's not their identity or anything like that. But I think they just have the talent to do it this year. Daniel stills a really good ball. Um, and he's probably more efficient on the deep shots than they've had in recent years at Air Force. So um, it, it, it may be something that they do just to exploit UNLV in the secondary. I think everybody's tried their hand at exploiting the secondary for UNLV this season. So I wouldn't be surprised. But at the end of the day, it's not what they want to be doing. Um, I think there's a scenario where you know we can force their hand and you know make them play from behind, possibly, which is kind of the goal everybody has with Air Force. But at the end of the day, they're going to hand it off to the dive guy. They're going to run the ball, you know, 40 times a game if they have to. They're going to try to get to 300 yards rushing, um, and if they can hit you with a couple of 50, 60 yard bombs over the top and catch you sleeping, um, then they'll be more than willing to do that with Daniels at quarterback. He's he's probably one of the better quarterbacks they've had, at least in my recent memory. Um, as far as connecting all those deep balls. And obviously they trust him a little bit more this year to throw the ball. So um, I wouldn't be surprised if they do, but it's not their identity. We're not, we're not, if Air Force throws the ball more than 10 times in a game, you did something right as an opponent, right? Like that's, that's, that's pretty much how I look at it. So uh, we'll see though. Every, everything's different. Air Force could come out and say, Hey, we're going to 
be aggressive early and just air it out. I don't know. <laughs> that might not be the best strategy for them, but we'll see. Very surprising. Uh, Caleb Herring, former UNLV quarterback. You can hear him on the broadcast of the Rebels games. Big game coming up against Air Force, who didn't throw last year. It was a very, very crazy game with the uh, blowout victory over the Rebels. Well, me and you had some debates going on on Twitter over the weekend. Uh, Caleb Herring, who doesn't believe in math. Uh, we have to <laughs> talk about this at this point. Uh, just in, in general, you seem to be against the influx of analytics into the football world. I'm, it's not that I'm against analytics, and this is this is I think my it's it's a little bit more convoluted and complicated and nuanced the conversation than Twitter allows for, obviously. Sure. Um, but my my view on analytics is that it has a place, and it's a, a I think it's a dominant place in the place where if you put it where it's supposed to be. And my view is that analytics and the numbers and using I guess science and math to try to understand football is a is the conversation you have about it in preparation for the game. So I'm a big believer in analytics and um, and trends and tendencies and breaking down the numbers of it in my preparation for a game. This is how I look at it. So during the week in practice, watching film, that I completely trust analytics from that as far as what I'm preparing for, the odds of what I'm going to face in the game. Then there's the the game and the kickoff and what happens then. The reason analytics to me fail is not because the number I don't trust numbers, I don't trust math is because the equation expands exponentially once kickoff starts, once the variables of the players on the other side are added, once the the tempo of the game, once the plays you've called already and the plays you haven't called, the things you anticipated that are wrong and then things that are right, the subtle adjustments of what down it is, how, how good you feel as a player make the analytics in those moments not as valuable as they were in prepping for the game. So I don't trust them in-game for making in-game decisions um, that require immediate action or immediate thought. I don't trust them for that. I trust analytics for prep. It's just in game. I think there's a feel because there's just too many variables. You have to be able to feel it on the field and you can't really explain it. And this is where it breaks down to the analytical minds of football now where they don't trust feelings. And I know from experience that the feelings are the things that substitute for the lack of numbers that you have at your disposal. You don't have a calculator out there on the field with you. You don't have every potential scenario laid out on a call sheet in front of you. It's impossible. There's too many variables. So that's where you just have to feel based on what you've done to the, in the game in that point and trust that feeling a little bit more than I think the conversation has. The, my only issue is that the analytics conversation has completely engulfed, not everybody, it has completely engulfed the feel part of it, the actual on the field game prep part of it. It makes it feel like, as a former player, people are saying or insinuating that at the end of the day, it's just numbers and clockwork. It's not that hard to do it. And I know that's not the message that everybody's sending. I know you personally aren't saying that either. Um, like you, you have a more nuanced view than I think Twitter allows to, for you to express. Yeah. But I think there is there is a, a, a conversation that has taken over in football where analytics types feel licensed now to discredit the players who actually play the game and understand that once live bullets are flying, it is a whole different game. Math goes out of the window sometimes when there's a 300 pounder who's barreling down on you, the clock says 25 and you, the game's on the line and your nerves, your nervous system reaction, all of that stuff, your adrenaline's flowing. You can't account for that with your analytics. But, it's part of the game. You the, really can't in that moment account for it all. Kill the crazy part of this is that you're, you're, 
explanation is exactly right, but it's exactly why you need the analytics to tell you. With all these crazy, the emotions of the game, the the adrenaline, everything's rushing through you. You need you need that information to tell you what the right decision is sometimes over all these other things that are going on around you. It's why when I, I pointed out, there's a couple of examples that I use of why analytics are so important and why it is so important to use the math when you make the decisions in a game. And it's one of them is blackjack, which I brought up to the other day. Like nobody is saying that a hundred percent of the time, if you play the optimal strategy in blackjack, you're going to win. Nobody's ever said that. In fact, you could have a 19 and you could hit it and get a two. Like that can happen occasionally. But if you, over the long run, you shouldn't be hitting 19s all the time. But but it, it's why, you if you're informed on what the proper decision to make is, and usually it's by 1%, 1.5%, maybe even 2%. Every once in a while you get a 6% advantage, like Andy Reid gave up by punting late in the game, which was an atrocious decision on his part. But if you are informed of what the best decision is to make, in that case, over years and years and years of data that's that's actually... Uh, shaded toward recent times because of how games are played. And like Brandon Staley talked about in the offseason, which everybody seemed to miss, where you design your analytic chart every single game based on every single matchup in the game and who's in and who's out and who's not playing for them and what the health status is of every player, what the weather conditions are, and all those things that are built for every game. So you don't have to make a decision when you you have a fourth and one and you're like, ah, do I go for it or not? And you're, you're taking your time. And how often do we see a, a coach take a delay of game? Because he's deciding... Or what am I supposed to do here? You know. Here's what you do. This gives you the best chance to win. This is what you do. That That's why they're so important, but also why on, there's a, a side that's anti-analytics that says, yeah, but it didn't work out. And there's a side that's pro-analytics, some crazy people that are like, you have to do this. But no, all it's giving you is that slight edge into knowing exactly what gives you, your team the best chance to win in every single situation. Caleb, I got a minute I left. I got a minute left for your response. Oh, I want to respond. Okay, so it... it, it there's something to it that, that you really can't explain, and I understand the analytics and being as prepared as possible. But I, I will just say it this way, and this is a way that I think Steve will appreciate and everybody will appreciate. There's something about the way my grandma makes a meal that can't be quantified, but I know she cooks better than everybody else. The recipe on the back of the box, as efficient as it is at giving you numbers and what you should do and how it should come out if you follow the recipe, my grandma will never follow the recipe. And her food tastes so much better. There, there's something to the human element of it that trying to be over analytical about it removes from competition. And this is the part that the conversation really comes down to. Yes, it would be great to know it uh, by, by the formula, by the numbers and everything like that. But you cannot replace the human element. It's part of the reason why the officials won't be removed from the game of football. It's part of the reason why players, coaches always have to be involved. There's a human element, element that you can't account for. And it's a control variable that will always be random. Like you can't, you can't control human emotions. You can't control it. So there's always going to be the element. So I'm, in my opinion, attempts to substitute for the feel of how long the cookie should be in the oven. When my grandma just knows, I don't know how she knows, but she just knows when to take them out. It's the same thing with a good coach. You can't really quantify how he knows when to go for it or not, but he knows. And it works out for him because he wins, and you see it. Um, so that's, that's really how I look at. First of all, Caleb, my grandma's cooking sucks, so I, I, she <laughs> she should follow the directions. And you're also that's also the same attitude. And this is the other example that I use besides the blackjack one is you're the you're the person who tw for 20 years was driving home from work, and this is our dad's generation and beyond, our grandpa's generation even. 
You're, this is the way I go home from work. This is how I go home. This is the best way. And then a GPS comes out and says, actually, you can save two minutes by going this way. Uh-uh. This is the way I go, and I that's how I get home. That's, that's the not best the way. Same. Yes, it is. That's not the that's same. That's exactly the same thing. Streets streets are not the same as ingredients of in a dish. It's not the same. <laughs> they streets are the don't same. move. They are the same as wind probabilities. change. No, they, no. What I'm saying is there's too many variables involved in football. The streets are not that variable. It's not a very there's, variable. Yeah, there's many different ways to go home, but the GPS will tell no. you this is the best way the streets don't change based on who's playing the game it, it who or what car you're sure driving. they do it's, it's if, so, if somebody slow is driving the other way it's then they could be, they now, could if, be you add, if you add the variable now the gps is there and everything you say your dad's driving a corvette and there's a lot of straightaways or your dad's driving a station wagon and the the left wheel's a little wobbly so it can't exceed 50 miles per hour those are the kind of variables that you start to stack where it says well the gps is less and less relevant Football is a stack of variables happening in a very chaotic frame of time that that you really can't account for in that way. The streets are set. The car is set. Now, like I said, let's say the car, the Corvette is the car, a station wagon. You're almost out of gas. There's a gas station on this route. There's not a gas station on that route. This road has a bunch of the potholes. This one doesn't. There's a kid that always rides his bike across the street in the middle of the day that you're going to have to stop for if you go that way. Those are the variables that exist on the playing field as the game's unfolding that analytics can't quantify in, at, in, with a time frame given. That's my only argument gets it. It makes sense in a vacuum. But once chaos starts going, you're sitting there with a calculator or whatever trying to figure out the numbers that add up to the best outcomes when the game's happening and you're taking delayed games. And all of a sudden, you don't realize that you haven't set up that play for fourth and short. So the defense now has a different sort of attitude about what they're looking to stop. You can't possibly equate for that on what they think or what they anticipated and if they guess right. There's no way to quantify that variable. And that's my only argument. The variables make it not worth it once the game starts. In prep, more than worth it. If you're leaving work, thinking about which way to go, absolutely. The prep matters. But once you're on the road, it's just whatever happens, happens. Figure it out with your gut feeling. That's just, you know, that's where I go with the analytics conversation. Sorry, that was probably more than a minute, Steve. Yeah, the fact, but you're, you're also... Want the skinny on UNLV football? Listen to the weekly UNLV All Access podcast with Cofield and Caleb Herring. A new episode drops each Thursday morning at UNLV All Access on Twitter. Now, back to Cofield and Company, live from the Finley Toyota Studio on ESPN Las Vegas. Four o'clock hours on the way. Let's do a giveaway right here. 364-1100-364-1100. Zero, zero. We've got tickets to go see the Scorpions, Mick Ultra Arena. That's on October 21st. Tickets available. If you don't win these from Ari, axs.com, axs.com is where you can grab your tickets. But right now, two tickets to see the Scorpions, October 21st, Mick Ultra Arena. Uh, we could do that all day long, the, uh, the analytics, Adam arguing against everyone else. So that's why we had to cut it off. Oh, I was, Caleb, I was ready to Caleb go. went way over his allotted time. And uh, the the judge in the debate had to jump in and go to break. Well, the Ari's the judge. The if we ins- don't get out on time, Ari will just cut us off. The insinuation that you can't build variables into your model is just preposterous. It's crazy. I'm actually fired up when we do the Marcus Arroyo radio show later at six o'clock. He's an analytics guy, and I wonder what he's going to say because because I will make sure that gets asked on the show. Yeah, because he has he's had to he's had to make a lot of decisions. You know. He didn't. He didn't have to last game, but he's had a bunch of fourth down situations where he's been. I'm going to use the word, and then you can correct me. He's been aggressive. He's been conservative because he's made the right decision by going for it. Right. The risk is what 
<laughs> when when you risk it by punting, yes. that should be looked at as being aggressive. And explain that further. When the when the numbers say that punting is the lower percentage move, you're being risky, right? And aggressive ag- aggressive isn't the right term because no, I not. think I think it is aggressive when you are going for it on fourth. It's not, but it's risky. It's not cautious. A lot of people say, "Ah, oh, he's being cautious." Like, no, you're cautious by going for it because it's the right decision. It's the one that gives your team the best chance to win. And and not all fourth downs are you supposed to go for it, by the way. No. Like, there, there is this weird misconception about analytics. Like, you go for it a fourth, you go for twos. Like, not always. Not always. You have or to I will flip it back on you. Brandon Staley going for it on fourth and two from his own 46. Great move. They won. No, it really wasn't a great move, but no, they won. No, it, it worked. No, that was the right move. It they won. It worked. It was the right move. It and was the right move. They won. By the way, uh, Josh McDaniels going for it, two point conversion, not necessarily the right move, 50-50 proposition, but it worked. They got the ball with a chance to kick a field goal and win. What more could you ask for? 